Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so glad you're with us today. Seek Reality listeners often tell me who their favorite guests are, what topics they most enjoy, and what topics we've been neglecting, and they don't like that. And one of the topics some of you have been told me is most neglected here is reincarnation. Reincarnation is a fact. Jesus taught it, although the First Council of Nicaea in 325 tried to remove every reference to it that they could find in the Gospels. Fortunately, though, they didn't get them all. And those that we used to think were dead have told us in great detail how reincarnation happens, why it happens, and everything they say fits smoothly with what Jesus told us, So, and also with the afterlife evidence. Um, reincarnation is a fact. There's no way around that. And it's central to the reason why this universe even exists. But there are very few living experts in the field of reincarnation. So I was thinking I might have to do a solo seek reality program on the topic. And you wouldn't want that. You love it when we have guests. So then I discovered our guest today who was with us all the way from the Netherlands. Our guest is another wonderful White Crow author, published in Great Britain by my dear friend John Beecher, who is the prestige publisher in the field of afterlife education. And our guest today is Titus Rivas. Titus is a meticulous Dutch reincarnation researcher in the mold of the extraordinary Dr. Ian Stevenson, who is late of the University of Virginia. Titus's book was co-authored with Indian researcher Dr. K.S. Rawat and out just this year. It's called Reincarnation as a Scientific Concept, and it is so badly needed. Titus has been researching reincarnation for decades, and he and Dr. Rawat have compiled a great and very readable summary of the state of play among disciplined researchers in the field of reincarnation. The scholarship in this field until now has been narrow, although it's been deep in spots. For example, Dr. Stevenson's books are phenomenal. I recommend them all. But Titus and Dr. Rawat are now seeking to broaden the field, to, to make it make this information accessible to more people who probably don't have the time to do the kind of in-depth reading that, that dealing with Dr. Stevenson really seems to require of us. He wants to make the truth of reincarnation more comfortable, frankly, to the Western ear. Titus, welcome. I am so glad you're with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Roberta. One thing that people like is if we have someone new, and you are new to us today, is they'd like to know a little bit about what got you into this field. I mean, this is studying reincarnation. And people think I have loony hobbies. For example, I've spent 50 years trying to understand the afterlife. That seems pretty loony to a lot of people. But just concentrating in reincarnation, that's a very deep dive. What got you started in that? Well, I was raised a Catholic. And I never doubted the existence of an afterlife because, yeah, I, I lost my faith in Catholicism afterwards. But uh, the topic of survival after death always appealed to me. It yeah, resonated with something inside me, I, I think, maybe some uh, hidden uh, subconscious uh, knowledge of where I came from. 
you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, when I was uh, 19 years old, I was uh, trying to get more knowledge about other religions and about paranormal phenomena, etc. And I stumbled upon the works by Dr. Ian Stevenson. Yes. And especially uh, his basic book, 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation. Now, I read that book and I was uh, really struck by the quality of the evidence. And yeah, I decided that I wanted to find similar cases here in the Netherlands or in other European countries. And for me, it was really wonderful because uh, it meant that my intuition, that there was something uh, correct about the, the traditional view of an afterlife. Uh, I mean, that there is an afterlife. Yes. That it can be founded in serious empirical research. So that appealed to me a lot. And yeah, I really became enthusiastic for such, uh, such research. Well, you were really young, too. I, what, what was it that struck you about it? I mean, um, I loved Dr. Stevenson's books. I read quite a few of them, actually. And everyone who's listening, 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation is really the classic in this field. So, so you started off, Titus, in a good place. Well, yeah, more or less, yeah. I had read other books about psychic phenomena already yes. uh, in high school. And I also uh, uh, contacted... Uh, peers during my high school years who were also interested just like me in in the paranormal so i had had uh, some experiences in that uh, sense yes talking about um, things and uh, exchanging uh, titles of books etc but this book was so uh, well researched it was it had such a high rational and empirical level yes yeah i was really impressed by it he writes and, like and 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 you tell that he when he he writes something there's good evidence for it i think that's one reason he's resonated so much with people yes i think so yeah yeah he's really uh searching for facts and how to explain them Yes. And that is, uh, yeah, something that you uh, often don't encounter in more yes. popular. In this stuff. field, that's right. You certainly don't encounter it. A lot of people are just in for whatever's sensational. But no, he's a wonderful scholar. So did you find yes. anything in the Netherlands? Did you find cases like his? Yeah, uh, maybe not as well uh, documented nor verified, but there are quite a lot of cases i've found dozens of cases here in the netherlands of young children who are around the age of uh, three to five mostly um, recall spontaneously recall a past life and mention quite a lot of details of who they were who others were in the in that life meaning uh, for example a spouse or children and I mean, uh, really in a really detailed way with names uh, and all. 
and also uh, it was about his profession and important events that occurred during that life. So those cases are here as well. They do occur here in the Netherlands as well. But they're much more rare. Yeah. What seems to be the case is that the places where Dr. Stevenson found most of his cases are countries where the culture embraces reincarnation. So um, in in most of the Western countries, it's surmised that people uh, uh, who have a child of two or three who suddenly starts talking about a past life will be embarrassed by the child, will think there's something, you know, people will think something wrong with little, you know, Joey or Susie if they ever hear them saying these things, so they hush the kid up. And and that seems to be why there are so many cases. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, one of the things I have uh, noticed is that traditionally um, it's mostly women, mothers, who open up about such cases. Uh, dads are usually uh, much less into it. Yes, exactly. So, yes. Just uh, something of uh, an imagination gone wild, childish fantasy, and nothing more. And they find it even ridiculous that you want <laughs> to the, to investigate the case. Not in all cases. There are uh, uh, fathers as well who... Uh, take the uh, child's uh, memory seriously, but uh, yeah, it's mostly women until now. So in which countries have you done this research? Obviously in the Netherlands and any other European countries or uh, India? One uh, very interesting case in Hungary, together with an international team led by the Society for Psychical Research from uh, Great Britain. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I, incidentally, I have also uh, studied some uh, claims in Spain, and uh, by correspondence, I've also been, been in touch with parents from other countries. But my, my own research concentrates on the Netherlands. Right. Well, tell me, what, tell me about the Hungary case. How did you find out about it even? Well, uh, it's really uh, quite an old case from the 1930s, and it concerns a Hungarian girl, who was also a medium, by the way, uh-huh. who so- uh, seemed to have died or yeah, seemed to have disappeared, I mean, uh, spiritually or, or psychologically, and to have been replaced by a Spanish personality from Madrid, Wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, the the Hungarian girl was called Iris, and the Spanish uh, woman, because it was already a grown woman, uh, was called Lucia. And yeah, it appears that she gave quite a lot of details about her life in Spain. But unfortunately, the skeptics uh, simply uh, blocked. Uh, all efforts to uh, verify her claims. So we we know very little so about couldn't... what might have been paranormal and what might have been just fantasy or normal knowledge. Right, right. Well, so, so that's but, but you, 
together this picture then of, of the, that, that this is real. Basically, reincar- yeah, reincarnation happens. You can, Dr. Stevenson called it solving the cases. You can solve the case, in many cases, of a child who claims to have been a different person. You can go find that different person's family and get all the details, right? That's right, yeah. The best case is that's what happens, yeah. I mean, things like they'll walk into a house, and I, I this is from Dr. Stevenson's work. They walk into a house, they greet the, the, the little girl greets the former husband and, um, and the children who are now grown and maybe some, maybe scolds them, goes into a back room and it's a dirt floor, digs in the floor and gets some coins out that, 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 that yeah, woman yeah. there. That kind of thing is so amazing, don't you think? If you don't know anything about it, yes, it must be very amazing and uh, surprising or even unbelievable uh, to many people, yeah. I had trouble believing that it was possible um, because I came from a very strictly Christian background. And Mm. Dr. Stevenson's books were such a revelation to me. And that's exactly how I read them. It was like, oh, my goodness, that's so amazing. I really enjoyed them. It was it was such because it is serious stuff. He writes like this is serious. You know, it's real, but it's still hard to believe. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, somehow I believed him uh, the very moment I read this. Uh, very, very big impression on me. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, you were young, too. And, and I, I think... Yeah. When you're in your late teens, early 20s, you, these things can strike you. Uh, I discovered him when I was older. But um, I, you, the, the, people, the people that um, report this kind of a previous life very often will bear the scars. They are, there's this, this is a syndrome, and I, I'll just, I think we ought to explain that. Um, it, this isn't how we all reincarnate. Reincarnation happens to all of us, they say repeatedly, and the, we, I could do a whole, a whole, you know, sort of program just talking about all the things we know about general reincarnation, but there's very little evidence of it. What's great about these cases is they are evidence that it easily does happen. But these are cases where someone, usually someone died violently. They were in a plane crash, they were murdered, something, uh, and it was not a planned exit point, which we all usually leave at. And they, they didn't transition normally, and they ended up effectively, um, we don't know whether it's a sp- spirit possession or how they get into but they, be, they enter a, a new fetus in a woman walking around, and they're born. And very often, that new baby will have the scars of the previous murder or accident or whatever it was that happened. Um, someone was, was killed with a, with a, a shotgun, and he had freckles all over his chest where the shotgun blast had been, for example. That's right. Yes. And, and maybe still uh, scars, uh, birthmarks or birth yeah. effects. Yes. That are related to the, the mode of death or uh, events that happened shortly before death. Traumatic events, I mean, events. And, uh, yeah. Apart from that, there are also cases in which the death was simply very sudden, very unexpected. Yes, yeah. Without uh, much violence, but yes, simply because the the person in question did not expect to die yet. Right. 
exactly. And and um, but it, it, they don't ever seem to re- report the being the, a person who died uh, in bed at 93, for example. No, that's not entirely correct, Roberta. Um, there are cases in which there's no obvious reason for the child to recall the previous life, other than that the child seemed to have been uh, trained very well, mentally trained uh, via meditation or other techniques, so that uh, he controlled, he or she controlled uh, the mind to a greater extent than uh, average. And that might, in some cases, also explain the availability of memories of a past life. This is also claimed, by the way, about the Buddha, who, through meditation, would also have uh, uh, achieved a lot of knowledge about his past lives. So are, are you saying that the person who was the previous personality for these young kids had a, yeah. had a more trained mind? Is that what you're saying? That's also possible. In many oh. cases, there's a sudden or violent death, but not in all cases. And for example, there are cases of monks who were trained very well and uh, end up recalling uh, the present life in, a, in the next life, I mean, as a child. Well, that's fascinating because I, I don't remember re- reading. This hasn't been a major area of interest of mine anyway, but I don't remember reading about those cases. So so the the young child is say, is say yeah. years old and would recall being a monk and would recall details of that monk's life. But the monk died in bed at 97 and or whatever. There's no earthly reason why the child would have recalled that, except that the monk had a had a more trained mind, more disciplined mind, was a meditator and so on. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yes. Okay. Uh, Ian Stevenson's successor with the University of Virginia, Uh Jim Jim Tucker. So on the one hand, yeah, we all acknowledge that there is a large uh, role for traumatic uh, death a violent, uh, sudden death, but that, that's not the whole story. There are also cases in which other factors related to memory uh, apparently do play a role as well. Well, that's good to know. But the, we, the thing to remember, everyone, is that we all reincarnate. Even if we have no memory whatsoever of ever having been in anybody else, we all reincarnate. And because there is no objective time, we're told that all our lives are happening at the same time. So if you want to cross your eyes, all you do is think of that and it makes your eyes cross. But um, in fact, even though you don't have a conscious memory of another lifetime, you can be regressed under hypnosis to remember previous lifetimes. Um, I've, I've been through this myself when I was in my, ex- I was experimenting with everything and I experimented with this and yeah, it worked. Um, my experience with there was that when you get regressed, it's to the period right before the death uh, in that previous lifetime. And I only I allowed it to happen three times. And that was it in one sitting that I, I wouldn't even finish out the hour with a woman because it was just too awful that I suddenly I was this person. And I knew this person after the first time it happened. I knew this person was just about to have some horrible experience or to die. Um, 
and and uh, you but but not not in bed and not, they were going to die violently. So I didn't do that anymore. But for a lot of people, it can be <laughs> because being regressed that way to a to some time when they fell off a, a cliff or something can make them stop being afraid of heights. Just that memory is enough to to get to resolve some psychological issues in this lifetime. So that's another thing about reincarnation, which is quite to me quite fascinating. It's fascinating, yes. Uh, I wouldn't say that all regressions are reliable and true, but uh, the, there are also cases in which fantasy must be important uh, as well. Well, that's, that's why Stevenson well, wasn't yes. very fond of this type of research, of uh, regression research, I mean. But uh, I do agree that uh, there are a few cases, at least, in which uh, the memories were verified and confirmed by external sources such as archives or the memories of uh, living people. Right. It's not just old nonsense. <laughs> and uh, also, I also agree that uh, it may be very therapeutic, even if it is just a fantasy, to be regressed to a past life and relive the traumatic experience because it also may work that way uh, during one and the same uh, earthly life. If you experience a traumatic uh, event uh, during your childhood, it may be uh, really healing to uh, relive it as an adult and um, yeah, to free yourself from it. Yes, yeah. No, it, it's... Um I think that it's very important for all of us to focus on our present life. That's one reason we we come into these lives with such complete amnesia about so many things, because um, we're here to learn and to grow. And so this is where our minds should be. But don't you feel that understanding that reincarnation does happen is, is helpful to people as we go through this life? Of course, yeah. Why not? Why, why shouldn't it? Because it just... It, uh, first of all, it implies that there is uh, survival after death. Time. That we need to exist and become uh, annihilated uh, when we die. Right. And it's a very good source of evidence because it's very um, hard to explain these cases away, especially in children. Right. Uh, who never knew. Um, the past life uh, personality or his or her uh, social circles in this life, then the, the the information is totally paranormal and it can't be a plausible motive for the child to have searched for that information through, say, super psi, uh, th- uh, through clairvoyance or telepathy. It really must be some type of memory of the very child. So that's, yeah, it's an exceptionally good source of uh, evidence for for an afterlife, yes. for the fact that we do survive death. So first of all, in that sense, it must be very, very uh, impressive and positive, especially for Westerners uh, who have a, a rational attitude. I think that you're absolutely right about that. And one of the things I loved about your book was that it had some terrific appendices 
with um, some scholar. They weren't really so much scholarly works as just very, very good articles on, on related topics, um, which let people go deeper into the topic of reincarnation. Um, I don't have the book in front of me. Talk about a couple of those. Uh, I thought they were excellent. I read, the, read all of them. Yeah, one of the topics uh, we touch upon in the appendices is uh, the topic of pre-birth memory or pre-existence uh, memory and its relation to um, memories of an uh, intermediate state or intermission period between yeah. two earthly lives. And it turns out to be the case that uh, children who recall a past life may also recall a spiritual realm in which they dwelt before they came to the present body. <laughs> Sorry. And those memories may even be paranormal. They, they may contain elements that they couldn't have known normally. For example, they may perceive their uh, future parents before they uh, reincarnate, and they may uh, see specific events that happened to those parents before they were even conceived. Um, such such uh, things are quite spectacular, I would say. Yes, yes uh, they are. Uh, yeah. And they're rare too. Um, it's it's very seldom that that we have. Um, there have been some people who have specialized in regressing people and hip, hypnosis to lives between lives, but it's it's a very uh, sort of narrow field. And um, this is another area I think where I think it's there's it's very good evidence if if people can remember these these things and if does even matter if they if if we can verify what happened in one particular situation but if if repeatedly people are regressed to the time between lives and their experiences are have some of the same characteristics that's by itself very good evidence that it's a, a real phenomenon and I not agree. something else yeah i agree roberta yeah and uh, yeah a couple of uh, scholars in this field also stress uh, the so-called convergence of uh, data, meaning that they, uh, data from um, various subfields, such as reincarnation or pre-existence, spiritual pre-existence, all point in the same direction. And they don't, um, they, they can be reconciled with each other very easily. So uh, there's no, um, how would I call it? It's not uh, as if uh, all those fields um, led to different conclusions. Yes. One of the things I think- uh, Your old fantasy, that's what, what one uh, would expect that uh, each yes. field or subfield would lead in a different uh, direction, but it's not like that. Doesn't happen that way, no. Um, yeah. One of the problems, I think, that people have doing things in this field from a scientific perspective, and it's clear you're a very careful researcher, just like Dr. Stevenson, but one of the problems we have is that we are living in this very material reality, and it's only natural that we would reason outward from this reality. But the more we learn about 
all of these phenomena that are related to life after death, the more we realize that that's, a, that's an even bigger reality. And it's if we can yeah. make ourselves able to, to reason from there instead of here, we, we can understand so much more. I'm only now wrestling with that fact. Yeah, I think it is uh, only logical to think that the afterlife, the, the spiritual realm, or uh, uh, however you want to call it, is much more uh, extensive, uh, much richer, has many more uh, dimensions or levels than this physical world. Yep. And we're just, yeah, we're living here in something like a, a school or something like that, where we have to learn certain things, at least that's my own conviction. I think you're right. Absolutely um, right. Yep. And it's just a tiny part of a much greater reality. I have I have said that to some people who didn't know much about it, and they just despaired. It's, I, it's hard enough to figure out this reality. I can't be figuring out something even bigger. Um, but I, I think that there's going to be scholarly work in this field done. I think that the work that you're doing and others are doing in areas of afterlife research are going to be tremendously helpful as we try to put it all together and make sense of this gigantic reality that the, the, we, we believe that the physical universe, we now believe it's maybe 5% of what, what exists. And there's a lot more than to be discovered. So um, very exciting time, I think, to be alive. Yes. And it's only the beginning because uh, we're just uh, one of the first uh, generations who study these things right. from the, 1900, the 1800s or so. Right. But, uh, yeah, say in a thousand years or so, uh, the knowledge will be uh, much more complete, of course. Yes. But I can't wait. I want, I want to put it together now. Where is your own research going? Where, where, are, you, where are you going now? Well, um, together with a friend of mine, uh, we're starting to um, study cases of deathbed visions. Yes. Uh, death experiences, because I'm not only a reincarnation researcher, but also a survival researcher, researcher in general. And I wrote a book about uh, near-death experiences, which was also translated into English, The Self Does Not Die. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, we studied... Uh, I mean, uh, myself and two friends of mine, Annie Dervin and Rudolf Smit, um, we studied cases uh, with paranormal aspects that were externally confirmed by third parties, for example, by uh, physicians or nurses or relatives or friends. And yeah, we studied, we did a very extensive study of the, the available literature and we found more than 100 uh, cases in which uh, paranormal perceptions, etc., could be confirmed by third parties. So not just through the patient, him or herself, but also via other persons, which is uh, even more important from a scientific point of view. Wow. For example, what kind of experiences were you looking at? Uh, several quite famous cases, for example, the case of Pam Reynolds. Yeah. You must have heard of her. Of course. Uh, explain uh, explain to everyone about the case of Pam Reynolds. That's a big Pam one. Reynolds, yeah, it was someone who had an aneurysm in her brain. 
and she had to undergo a very uh, difficult, very uh, complex uh, sur uh, surgery operation, surgical operation, in which they uh, applied a method which is called the standstill method. And this means that the patient is more or less uh, put to death. Right. Not not totally, but at a neurological level, uh, they switch off the brain completely because they want to be able to uh, operate on the brain. Don't they drain it of blood too? Wasn't there? Didn't they do that or make it so that there was limited blood because it was an aneurysm? Yeah, that's that's right. But also because they didn't want any interference of the processes in the brain. And they chilled her whole body down, so she was like... That's, yeah, that's, that's also part of the, the standstill procedure. Wow. And, well, there is some debate about whether she could see things while being completely in that standstill state of mind, um, a neurological standstill, I would, should say, or whether it was just beforehand but one way or the, or the other, uh, around the surgery, so during the surgery or uh, shortly before the surgery, she did perceive, uh, for example, medical instruments that they used. Um, and yeah, she perceived them in such a way that it couldn't be explained normally. Yeah, she was out and of her the she very present consciousness is inexplicable in that uh, in that situation because there shouldn't be any type of consciousness whatsoever. No, no. So we did a very extensive uh, investigation um, of the the literatures, uh, meaning the 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 original report by Michael B. Sabum, and also uh, contacted several people involved in the operation, for example, Dr. Spetzler, the neurosurgeon. Uh, we also went to a lot of uh, debates with skeptical debunkers who simply didn't want to believe that the case was true, that it was paranormal. Right. And our conclusion is that even if she didn't perceive anything during standstill, but just beforehand, it would still be inexplicable within a materialistic worldview because even if it was before the operation, during uh, the period that she was going into anesthesia, etc., there shouldn't have been enough brain uh, activity to explain her consciousness, let alone to explain any specific uh, perception. And yeah, there the many cases uh, which are uh, to some uh, less spectacular, but one way or the other, it's still quite certain that there are many NDEs, many near-death experiences, which are accompanied by paranormal experiences that can be confirmed by others. Also experiences of telepathy, for example, while being uh, yeah in a coma or... Right. During death. 
et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And People who were in a coma, well, they were could report conversations that happened in another part of the hospital or even outside the hospital and do that accurately. That kind of thing is quite astonishing. It's rare, but it's quite astonishing. Quite astonishing, but uh, to make it paranormal, there shouldn't be enough brain activity to explain it. Because for a materialist, what really counts is the, the amount of activity, especially in the cerebral cortex, that would be necessary for conscious uh, experiences and conscious thought, etc. So, uh, not all of these cases uh, could be used by by us, but yeah, we still reached a number of more than 100 cases. Wow, good for uh, which, you. Uh, mostly from uh, yeah, from the literature, we just studied books and articles and contacted. Uh, people involved, if that was possible, but there are also several cases which we studied ourselves. And uh, yeah, our conclusion is that uh, NDEs can't be explained away in a normal way. It's simply impossible, and there must be something like a soul or non-physical psyche that leaves the body uh, even uh, if only temporarily, during uh, cardiac arrest, and that enters a non-physical realm, a spiritual realm, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, no. Yeah, looking it's at that material and comparing it with uh, reincarnation uh, research, well, we're seeing the same kind of convergence that I already mentioned. Yes data all pointing in the same uh, direction. Yeah, that, that's how I ended up just first believing it was possible for there to be life after death to begin with. We had a great number of excellent communications received in the latter part of the 19th, first three decades of the 20th century. And they were, a lot of them were preserved and they even were, were wrote, they wrote books at, uh, about them at the time. And of course, science ignored them all. Um, but it was really a heyday of communication. And when I first started to do this research in the 70s, you could find those books in bookstores. I, I would go around, you know, I obviously use bookstores. I bought a bunch of them and I read them. And it was impossible for, for, for them to be real if there was no afterlife. Because southern England, eastern United States is where they all were received over our 60 or 70 years, and all of them talked about the same stuff. I never saw duplicated um, communications, but they, they all, it was the same process, the same physics, the same pastimes, the same clothing, the same everything. A lot of peculiar details that it was always the same. The same kind of thing, really, Titus. When, when, you, when, when you get a lot of these accounts together, and there's no possibility that there there was copying, and they all say the same stuff. There's no possibility that's not true. Convince me. Really impressive, yes. And even more so if the mediums uh, involved were naive about, uh, let's say, spiritualist theories, theories or theorizing, and still came with the same kind of uh, story. Right. 
This was, this was the heyday of, of physical mediums, which there are no physical mediums now, really, who do who can do very much because it takes decades of sitting in the dark night after night to become a good physical medium. But some of these people were really good. It's just that they were never present when this was happening. Um, they were in, in trance. They had to be told later what happened. So they they really didn't. They knew less than the people who routinely attended their seances. Quite astonishing. It's all and and it really has been stonewalled. This evidence has been stonewalled for the last hundred and fifty years. You are wonderful to be pulling together really solid cases and and even working with the the skeptics, really the deniers. They're they're not skeptical. They they're just out to debunk whatever they can. Mm-hmm. It's yes. good to be trying. I I've given up a long time ago trying. Yeah, to be honest, we have already given up on them as well. But uh, still, yeah, you need to do some uh, debates about certain cases simply uh, because there's also an audience, there's a general public wants to be informed. And uh, yes. yeah, sometimes that means that you have to deal with very uh, different opinions and very different uh, attitudes. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the reckoning is going to come because people really don't know. People who are going about their lives trusting science have no idea how bankrupt it is, completely bankrupt. This is only an example of it. They're going through the motions now. No major discoveries are happening because it's basically a belief system. It's it's a belief system that is not um, – uh, based in anything real. I mean, it just, they believe everything is material or derived from matter. And that's mm. just what it is. And it's nonsense. So you're yeah. right. We have to help them yeah. using this information. We have to help everybody understand what's real. You're right. Yeah. You sometimes have no choice. You simply have to deal with them sometimes. Yes. But we, do yeah. avoid it. we do avoid it nowadays because we have been going through a lot of quite nasty experiences with uh, real debunkers. On the other hand, they are not all like that. There are also a few quite civilized and polite uh, skeptics or debunkers. And yeah, the advantage of dealing with with them is that they at least don't uh, insult you or offend you. Uh, simply respect you as a person. It's gone through a period of time, um, st- say starting 20 years ago, um, they, were, they were very, very active and very in people's faces. Um, but they can't get anywhere because, frankly, it's very hard to sell a lie and it's very hard to always manage to defeat the truth. So uh, when I first started, for example, blogging about 10 years ago, I would get them all the time. I never I never get them now. Um, most people really are are much more skeptical than they are actively hostile, which is a which is a good thing. But you're right. We're going to have to figure out a way to do this. But we are going to have to do some direct debates with people who really know what they're talking about. And and show the, that these people basically, uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes and hasn't had any for quite a long time. Yes, I've used that uh, metaphor myself. Yeah. So, what do you hope people take away from our conversation today? Well, I hope that uh, they will conclude that there has been some quite serious research into topics like reincarnation and 
also near death experiences and similar uh, related phenomena. And it is not just nonsense or, or an arbitrary um, belief system based on visual thinking. And that is really worthwhile to, uh, yeah, to uh, have a better uh, idea of what's going on in that type of research. Well, it's been lovely having you be here today, quite frankly. It's so refreshing to um, meet someone who is not just trying to do these things and write a sensational book, but is really trying to follow in the great Ian Stevenson's footsteps. So I really enjoy I enjoy having you as a guest. We'll have to do this again. And uh, thank you for being here. Consider yourself hugged across the pond. Uh, thank you. Everyone, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so glad you were with us today. Never forget, never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, we'll be talking with Leonard Perlmutter, who is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute in Averill Park, New York. And he's the author and editor of Transformation, the, journey, the journal of meditation as mind-body medicine. Um, Leonard has done a great deal of study in the field of Eastern religions and spiritual practices, and he's done that over many decades, both here and in India. He's the only person I know who has his own personal guru in the Himalayas, for heaven's sake. Um, he teaches these practices now in the United States and in Canada. His topic next week is going to involve some discussion of yoga, but not much. Primarily, we're going to be talking about his new book, which is called Your Conscience, The Key to Unlock Unlimited, Limitless Wisdom and Creativity and Solve All of Life's Challenges. Wow, talk about talk about a title. That's that's a that's a mouthful. But his book is very good and it's very short. And the ideas that come from yoga are going to be familiar with people who are used to uh, are talking about what Jesus actually said. I mean, there is a great spiritual truth, and we all get to see pieces of it. We've had a lot of experts on Seek Reality uh, as guests who had, had some some interest in the. Uh, Eastern religions, but I think Leonard Perlmutter is the first one I've, I've come across who was able to talk about Eastern practices in a way that Westerners could understand and find comfortable and easy. And that's important here because most of the people who listen here uh, don't have an Eastern background. And frankly, it it may be a little bit woo-woo and strange to be talking about some of the things that they talk about. So he makes it, he tames it, he makes it sensible, and he talks about how our conscience is really something that isn't just, you know, oh, you you took an extra cookie. It's it's something, conscience means con, with, with wisdom. That's what it literally means. And um, he really he really talks about it in very profound ways. I think you're going to enjoy this. So please join us next week, and we'll stretch our minds a bit and learn how we can use our conscience consciences in exciting new spiritual ways. And today we've been enjoying learning about some of the various forms of reincarnation from Titus Rivas. He's written a book that's going to interest many listeners here. Titus has been researching reincarnation for decades as a scientific discipline. You saw how disciplined he is. And the result has been his new book called Reincarnation as a Scientific Concept. It's excellent. As I said to him, I especially loved he, there were like eight or nine appendices, and I thought they were all excellent. Um, 
He's a Dutch scholar. He's a reincarnation investigator in the mold of the wonderful Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was at the University of Virginia. He's gone ahead now. This book is terrific, and I'm so glad to be able at last to start to satisfy friends of mine who are interested in reincarnation and have said, for heaven's sake, why don't you talk about reincarnation? Well, now we have. You can reach Titus through the, his wonderful publisher, which is whitecrowbooks.com in Great Britain. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and soon The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. For kids, there's The Fun of Meeting Jesus. It's a pre-reader picture book. It's quite a beautiful book. And you can order all of these books through bookstores on Amazon.com. And the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you want to talk to me about anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out. There's a green contact block on robertagrimes.com. And if you go there and, and send me an email with a question or a comment or whatever, I will email you back. It can take a week because I get a lot of emails, but it's very important to me to get back to you. And I do really read and enjoy everybody's email. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you in particular are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.